so difficult to um, to get out of our culture and um, out of a life of conditioning and, and to see things from your perspective. We're in desperate need of, of your truth, of agreeing with you about life, of seeing it from your perspective. And so, God, we we desperately need and, and we trust you. I thank you that that the Spirit is real. I thank you that your Holy Spirit is really true. I think it's not just semantics that he, He's desiring and willing to possess, to come into, to enter, to empower those who are your children, who are born again. So God, we ask that you would show us clear again what it means to be born again, the message of Jesus, um, what He was here for. And I ask you to give us that greater understanding in spite of me through your word help us to understand amen we're in we're in four going to finish up next week i plan plan to god willing go into uh chapter five six and seven which is known as the sermon on the mount and um the the simple question the simple answer to what what is the sermon on the mount um and is it relevant for the day is today is i believe absolutely it's relative for today and relevant for today and i believe that it is god's jesus god's son telling us what god's heart is about what it means to be in the kingdom of heaven um what it means to be in the kingdom of god and there seems in in a just, just for fear of oversimplifying, there's kind of a couple of different epochs in in the history of man. Um, you have the time prior to Moses and ty- prior to the law. You have the time of the law, and then you have the new covenant with Jesus. Um, we we sometimes it's very easy to lose sight of the fact that it's the same God through all of them, in in our relationship with Him. <clears throat> um, we have a right relationship with him based in the same way. But it, there's a different way, a different dispensation, you might say, that he works in. Um, and, and, and we, to understand that is important. The, the foundation, we're, we're justified by faith in God. And that has been true since all time. Um, in, in, unfortunately, we have a very, very dim, um, diminished view of what biblical faith is. We we live in a country. I was talking to Steve this morning about it, doing it. That you know, I was I've shared with this before, but I'll share it again. Just this this radical, I mean, nearly to me unbelievable hypocrisy that that we have in this. There's a lot of things, but that we have in this country when it came to. Um, the current administration's argument and, and this country's argument about guns. With the school shooting, we, all of a sudden, there was this supposed outpouring of emotions of, of we have to protect our children. I mean, the statements are made. If we could do anything to protect one children, it would be worth it. You know, if we could, you know, if that means give up rights, give up constitutional rights, it doesn't matter what we do. If we could just protect one children because children are that important. Well, while at the same time, we as a country have accepted, have even supported, and are unwilling to do anything about the murder of 300, of 3,300 children every day, 365 days a year in this country in abortion. That's a, that's an insane dichotomy. It's irreconcilable. Right? I mean, on the one hand, we say children are so important, children matter so much. We have to, we'll do anything. We'll give up basic rights. We'll give, we'll, we'll even put ourselves in danger of a tyrannical government in order to, um, we'll, you know, protect one child, even if we can protect one child. I, I think that that is a, a fairly universal um, problem in our culture, and it seems. We have some characteristics about our culture. I mean, the whole Facebook thing. You guys, some of you have heard my rants about the whole Facebook, electronic communication, social media thing. Um, 
it's potentially an incredible tool, you know, just, just like a gun is, I guess, you know, doing it. Only I would say that it's far more destructive and dangerous than a gun ever was in our culture. Um, because of misuse, you know, the, 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 the difficult thing, and we've seen some pretty blatant examples of it, but the problem is that it's, it's an, it's fairly universal. The, the ability to be one thing on Facebook and another thing in real life. Um, you know, because there's, there's no accountability. Our culture is, people have always been, have that propensity. Um, you look at the people in, in Jesus' day, and, and I, I think the thing that I would really like to leave us with today, and um, Jesus made a statement in, in verse 17 of chapter 4. He said, from that time, the time after John was dead, from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I, we really... Um, if we can do anything today, I would ask you to try to get hold of that in our own lives and, 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 and try to gain the relevance. Because I, I, Jesus is saying the same thing, and I believe that the culture is very, very similar to what the Jewish culture was, in our country at least, um, where you have the predominance of people who claim to be followers of God. Again, the statistic is 85 the the best ones I've heard are 85% call themselves Christians in this country. And 75% say they're born again. Um, an absolutely, as far as I'm concerned, absurd number. Uh, you know, statistic that, that has nothing to do with reality. But these people actually believe it or they wouldn't write it down. I'm not sure how the survey was done and what the questions were asked. But th- that's, that's an absurd reality. We would not be in the state we are um, as a country if that were anywhere close to being the truth. So what does that mean? That means a lot of people believe that they're saved, believe that they're born again, believe that they have a right relationship with God, um, and yet they don't. It was no different in Jesus' day. Um, And and the the profound thing that I would like you to to think about and consider is, so what did Jesus, how did did it look, how did it seem when Jesus says, repent, um, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand? Because that is an absolutely essential, relevant baseline to us having a right relationship with God, too. Okay? We've lost sight of that. You know, we've lost sight of that in our country. We don't talk about sin. We don't talk about repentance. In fact, we feel like we're pretty good. And, and you know, we can kind of say, well, I'm sorry for doing this or that. Um, be clear. Um, repentance and saying you're sorry are not the same thing. Um, in fact, in fact, I was thinking about it as we're doing it, and, and you, you teach it. I think repentance is supposed to be taught in a child. I'm, I'm pretty certain of that, and, and I'm not sure exactly where the where the understanding. This isn't a criticism of any parenting, but I think that we need to always be careful in our child to try to teach children to try to teach repentance and not to teach saying you're sorry. Um, because the, the propensity is to, 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 have a, to teach your kid to say they're sorry um, because that's the right thing. But if that isn't a response to their heart, potentially that's a very dangerous conditioning. Okay? That they, because what, what, do, what, are they, what do we teach them to do? We teach them to say you're sorry so that you get out of trouble. We teach them to say you're sorry so that the reproof and correction stops. We teach them to say you're sorry so that you can move on with life. But, but the, the thing that we are to teach our children, because the thing that is essential for us to have with God is true repentance. And, and, and repentance means, to, the, the word is, in, in Greek, is metanoio. And, and the word means to change one's mind or purpose. Okay? It's not saying you're sorry. It's not about saying, I'm sorry I offended you. Not that that's wrong to do. I'm not saying that saying you're sorry and for a child to, when they're selfish or when they act out or when they hit their brother or whatever, or sister or whatever, that, that to say you're sorry is, is, is an important thing. But the, the truth is that what we want to do is teach them what confession and repentance mean. And instead, in our culture, we tend to 
teach to say I'm sorry. I mean, John's probably the best at it. John says he's sorry for stuff that that um, really has nothing to do with with he's sorry about, you know. And, and it's it's uh, and, and the point is, it's a very cultural thing. I mean, you you know, if, if you say, you know, John, you know, I whatever. I mean, is there any more coffee? Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You know, John, you know, and. And he's just a really good example of misuse of the term "I'm sorry" at times. But it's 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 learned behavior, and I've tried for years to help him with it, and he doesn't. So I'm willing to embarrass him in front of everybody in a little bit. So I love you, John. So um, you know, it it it. What is his purpose in saying that? Oftentimes, and I'll use you for an example, a bad example. His purpose in saying that is, I don't want there to be anything between us. I don't want you to think bad of me. I don't want this tension to go on. I don't want this, you know, but it has nothing to do with confession and repentance. It has nothing to do with with changing your mindset and changing your purpose. That's why it's a very dangerous and wrong thing to say because repentance is our relationship with God, the foundation of our relationship with God, the initial relationship with God is based on confession and repentance. Okay? And we need, we need to understand that. Confession, what does confession mean? Confe- does confession mean just stating your sin? Or does confession mean agree? Because the word means agreeing with. Okay? So what, do, what does it mean to agree? Agree with what? It means to agree with God's view of your sin. Okay? So there's, there's an essential place for us to come to. When, when John the Baptist, remember here we are, um, let me read it and then we'll give it the context. So, Jesus just came out of the wilderness um, after the fast. They're actually, initially it looks like, by the other Gospels, he went to Nazareth. He went to Galilee, it says, which he did. Galilee is a region. Nazareth, Nazareth is in it. He went to Nazareth and went back to his, his home um, synagogue, have you? Um, you read it, but in, in, in that Many of you heard the story. Remember, he he went there and things didn't go so well, did they? You know, I mean, this is right after that. He went there full of the power of the Holy Spirit, it says. So he was definitely moving and working and functioning and speaking um, in truth and in power. But he went he went there and he entered the Sabbath or entered the synagogue on the Sabbath as usual. He was handed the scroll of Isaiah and he read from the scroll of Isaiah and everybody was marveling because they'd heard about this Jesus guy and heard what he'd done. Okay, um, And they're saying, God, isn't this carpenter's son? And, and Jesus reproved them. Um, and, it, and they ended up trying to run him out of the synagogue and trying to throw him over the cliff on, that the town was built on and stoning him in his hometown. So Jesus decided to settle somewhere else. So Jesus went to Capernaum, which was on the north end of the Sea of Galilee. And so that's, that's where we pick this up. Now when he, now when he heard that John had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee. Okay? John the Baptist, I, I, we need to keep in context, again, the, the, the miraculous intervention of God in reaching out to people, because this is God's way. People would, Jesus would have been a tough one to understand. Jesus was a tough one to understand. Jesus still is a tough one to understand. But Jesus was a tough one to understand, because he didn't look like their perception of a Messiah. He didn't look like, their, like the Savior. He didn't look like the King of the Jews. He didn't seem to fit that description. But God was very, made it very, very evident um, what his intention was and who Jesus was through John the Baptist. Okay? And John the Baptist was very much in a mode and that they could understand. Okay? These, these people had longed for a prophet. They hadn't had a prophet. God had spoken to the nation of Israel through prophets for a long, long time, thousands of years. Okay? And, and so people were used to a prophet was the man who spoke God's voice to these people. And also a prophet was somebody who revealed the truth of men's heart, spoke in the power of the Holy Spirit, was given visions, was given truth to speak. They never were very well, oftentimes were not thought well of, um, and weren't liked because they spoke truth. And most of us don't really like to hear cold, hard truth. And they spoke truth pretty directly. 
But John the Baptist came in the shape, in the form, in the look, in the model of a prophet. Remember camel's hair and a, and a leather belt around his waist? That looked like a prophet, smelled like a prophet, acted like a prophet. You know, wandered around in the desert by himself, ate grasshoppers and, lo- you know, honey. I mean, this guy was a real prophety kind of guy, you know. He was, he was a whacker. Well, they, the, the country flocked to him. It says that all Jerusalem, now I don't know if every person, but all aspects of Jerusalem, at least all Judea, all Samaria, and the regions around all went to the Jordan to be baptized. Okay? I mean, this could have been million people. I mean, there are hundreds of thousands anyway. And why were they drawn? Because the Jews were looking to hear from God. God had been silent, basically, for 400 years. Okay? They hadn't heard um, from God for 400 years. They hadn't had a prophet in their midst for 400 years. And they were anxious and eager for a prophet. The stinking Romans had come and oppressed them and all kinds of people kept. And God purposely allowed it to happen in order to discipline them, in order to get them to repent and turn back towards him. Um, they didn't listen very well, but they, they, they figured that, okay, this is, this is the time. I mean, everything was set. Like we said, the temple was there for the first time in 400 years. It had been destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar. And they, so here they were. They were ready for the king, the Messiah, the leader to come. And here's this prophet coming and saying, okay, you know, this is God speaking to us. So everybody was anxious and they went out by the hundreds of thousands. When they were, when they were baptized, it says that they were confessing their sins. Okay? So, so, I, I just want to, to make a, something clear. Do I think that there was ones who were absolutely sincere in their confession and repentance? I do. You know, it, it seems to show later on people that were devout were sincere in that. Um, but when we look at, we look at the life of Jesus, the three-year ministry of Jesus, when we look at, at Jesus in Jerusalem, um, at the time he was crucified even, he, there weren't many followers were there. I mean, were they, were they, so did they really understand what they were doing? Or were they one thing on Facebook and one thing on, in real life, you know? Were they, you know, were they professing to have this tremendous concern and care Today is an example for children and, and, and how valuable children are. And these are innocent that we have to defend and we have to do everything in society to defend these innocent children because they're defenseless and we have to defend them. And on the one hand, espousing this great sentimentality and I, I don't doubt there isn't an emotion that, that's evoked and comes out. I mean, there's children, innocent children killed by a wretched, ugly, demonically controlled guy. Okay? Ugly, ugly scene. But the truth is, then we go on living every day apathetic towards the 3,300 that are killed every day in our country. So there's, there's a duality there, and I think the confessions of, oftentimes at the Jordan had to be somewhat similar to that. Because there wasn't, there wasn't, what did John say about that? I mean, it's a pretty, um, important statement that he says. When, when they were coming to be baptized and he saw the Pharisees, remember, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath of come? Therefore, bring, bring forth fruit in keeping with your repentance. That's a very, very important thing. You know, there's, there's a bunch of misconceptions and deceptions in contemporary Christianity. One of those surrounds people who die. And, and, you know, I am not the judge. I'm not here to judge. God is the judge. But God says pretty clearly that, that true repentance will produce fruit of repentance. Okay? I mean, that, this is, so the, the concept that we often hear in funerals is, well, we don't know if they were Christian or not. You know? We don't know if they were saved or not. And you don't have to excuse me, but, Really? I mean, you don't, you don't know this person professed to believe in God. You don't, you didn't see fruit of their repentance. You didn't see the power of the Holy Spirit. You didn't see evidence of being born again. Um, well, we can say what we want to make us feel better, right? Because that's what we do, okay? Because we don't want to face death. We don't want to face people dying and going to hell and eternally separated and we'll never see him again in the finality of that. Okay? We don't want to face it. 
So in order to make ourselves feel better, we say, well, we don't know, but who are we to judge? I think, I think there are second grade Sunday school teachers here. Didn't they say a prayer when they were in second grade? Yeah. Then they lived for Satan the rest of their life. But they said a prayer when they were in second grade, so of course they were saved doing it. I would, pardon me, in spite of the fact that I'll probably get stoned in this culture for it, I would say there was more evidence they weren't saved than there certainly was they were. You know, ev- there will be evidence in your life. There will be fruit in keeping with repentance. Otherwise, it's not a true repentance. A repentance, again, repentance is changing your mind. Changing your purpose. Okay? It's not just saying, I'm sorry. Again, it's not saying, I'm sorry, so I get out of trouble. Okay? So, there, the, there is the necessity of action. You know, we, we, I'll say it again because I, I don't think you can say it. I'm continuously reminded of it again as I read through the New Testament that this is not just an intellectual exercise. Okay? We are not saved by an intellectual exercise. We do not quote correct doctrine. We do not say, I believe the right things about Jesus and I accept him as my savior and come into my life and now I'm saved. The necessity is confession, is agreeing with God about my sin and turning away from it. There's, there's, and, and, and so there's action involved. Okay? Does my action save me? No. But my action is a result of agreeing with God. In in true confession and repentance will lead to turning away, just like he said about all these people that were coming to be baptized. He says, bring forth fruit in keeping with your repentance. Because there's, there's, he said, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Okay? What is the kingdom? A kingdom isn't necessarily a landmass that is ruled by a, a monarch. Okay, I mean that that obviously constitutes a kingdom, but it is it is a sphere of sovereignty. Okay, it is an area where where the authority of the king is absolute. All right, that, that's a kingdom. So when Jesus was resurrected and went back to heaven. Is kingdom in place now? It looks, it looks, it looks different because their kingdom, what they wanted as a kingdom and what the Jews wanted as a kingdom was physical on earth. Um, will that happen someday? Absolutely that will happen someday. Is the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, is it alive and well on planet earth? It is. Okay. Does Jesus reign with absolute authority and sovereignty in the lives of people. That's what it means if you're born again. That's what it means if you're a child of God. That's what it means if you're a you know a a, a child of the kingdom. Okay? It's the kingdom of God it, it changed because Jesus the Messiah did come, the Messiah did complete the work of the sacrificial lamb. In the gospel in, in Mark he says, you know, rejoice in the gospel. Jesus said along with this, that the good news, what is the good news? The good news is that we can enter into the kingdom of heaven. That we can enter into the kingdom of God. That we can live our lives in the kingdom of God. And the words are used, um, you know, in, in Matthew, he predominantly uses the word kingdom of heaven. Okay? Um, in most of the other gospels, it's typically the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God encompasses more than just the kingdom of heaven, okay? But the kingdom of heaven is certainly the kingdom of God. How does that contrast with where we live here on earth? Is there another kingdom set up? There is. There's a kingdom of darkness, okay? And there's a ruler of that darkness. Remember last week we talked about Satan and and some descriptions of him? Some of the names of Satan that the Bible uses and the Bible gives Satan for names are prince of this world, our ruler of the kingdom of the air, okay, or God of this age. Those are, those are names given in the Bible to describe Satan's rule of the kingdom of this world, of the kingdom of darkness, and he does. And what, is it, what are the purposes of his kingdom? He intends to oppose God. 
He intends to ruin believers. He intends to hinder true faith. And he intends to establish his own kingdom. Okay? So, so here's two kingdoms coexisting. And that's something that the Jews didn't understand. Okay? That's something that, um, they missed. Um, and again, why did they miss, why weren't they able to, to take all the scripture, all that Jesus said, all the actions that he did? Some did. Don't get me wrong. There was some who, who understood. Okay? There was some who got it. Um, relatively speaking, 75%, all those who went to the river and, and confessed their sins, I don't think so. A few number. Some of the Pharisees, Nicodemus being one of them. You know, there was some of the Pharisees that actually got it, that understood that he was the Messiah, that understood his fulfillment um, of, of that at all. And Jesus said, I have fulfilled. Now that everything is fulfilled, okay, in the kingdom, Jesus came to fulfill it all. He came to fulfill the law. He came to fulfill the promises. He came to fulfill the covenants that God made. And in Jesus was the fulfillment. But they didn't understand that his kingdom was going to reign for a time in coexistence with the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of this earth. Okay? And that's a really important thing for us to understand, that we are under the authority of one kingdom or another. Okay? And, and we talk about that. You're going to serve somebody. You're going to serve God or you're going to serve Satan. But we need to understand that there's that there's actually kingdoms, realms of authority um, on earth, and that we we need to really understand this from the from the perspective that we, if we are going to be children of God, if we are going to be born again, we need to be part of the we are will be and need to be part of the kingdom of God, right? So we're the kingdom of God. Let, let me read a couple of verses. There was a, a verse I was in uh, Romans. 14, I think. Um, the kingdom of God, it says in Romans 14, 17, says the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. It's not the material world, okay? It, but, it, but it exists in righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Okay? We look at, the Old Testament is really, I've been really blessed to spend a lot of time in the last months in the Old Testament again and and seems like they spend more time in there probably than in the New Testament doing it. Um, and I'm really grateful for it because the Old Testament gives us a very um, comprehensive understanding of God and His character and His nature and how He feels. It's the same God. We serve the same God. Okay, And if you don't understand the God of the Old Testament and believe He's the same God of the New Testament, believe that he, that is the God that we serve, um, you don't serve the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is the same God from beginning to end. The same mercy, the same compassion, the same grace, um, the same relationship obtained through faith, the same loving Father. Um, is the Old Testament is in the New Testament. God has worked differently in man throughout time, but it's the same God. And we need to understand that same God. You, it was essential for people... Time and time again, God said, but if you will turn away, if you'll turn away from your sin, if you'll turn away from your idolatry, if you'll turn away from serving other gods, then if you will repent, okay? That means turning away. That means changing your perspective, changing the way you see things. That means if confessing is agreeing with God about what you're doing. If you, if you will do that, then I will save you. Then I will save you from your enemies. Then I will rescue you. Then I will save you from oppression then I will bless your life. And oftentimes we talk and see that blessing in the Old Testament. It was represented in literal kingdom on this earth, right? It was, it was, it was in literal crops bearing fruit, wombs opening, um, wealth, riches, prosperity, freedom from outside oppression from other enemies, okay? Those same promises hold true today. It's just in the spiritual realm, okay? And, and that's all that matters. And we need to understand that that isn't diminished. It isn't less. It's actually far greater. It isn't an outward thing. It's an inward thing. To know freedom from oppression inwardly is what really matters. You know? They can kill my body, but if they can't 
you know, but, but my soul is what matters. My being, my, my, my mind, my spirit. I will. Am I at peace there? Do I have joy there? You know, the, the kingdom of God is something that is, is in the spiritual realm. And it's something that has to do with the things that really matter. The things that are eternal. Okay? We, we are so materialistic that we think it has to do with outward things, external things, things I can touch. And, and, and has to do with the praise of men. has to do with the acceptance of men. It's, it's an inner peace, an inner joy, an inner strength. The fruit of the Spirit. So what, what is... Let me, let me read Galatians 5 because it contrasts the fruit of the kingdom of this world and the fruit of the kingdom of, of God. Okay, Because the kingdom of God... The way that we live in the kingdom of God, we cannot know the kingdom of God. I don't mean to oversimplify it, but we cannot know the kingdom of God without being born again. Jesus said that. Okay? We cannot enter the kingdom of God without being born again. Alright? When we are born again, the Bible is clear that we become possessed or indwelled by the Holy Spirit. We're talking some really, really radical things here. But it's true. And that's what the Bible says, okay? And it's true. So we become indwelled, living in us. We become the sanctuary of God's glory, okay? Of God's Shekinah glory, of His Holy Spirit. Not in the Holy of Holies, as He did then, in a building in the, in, made by man, in the temple made by man. But we actually become the temple of the dwelling of God, we, where God dwells and resides in us, in the whole, through the Holy Spirit. So, the fruit of that, right? The fruit of that spirit, what comes from within, what, what this tree produces that is filled with the Holy Spirit becomes evident. What, when we are, when we are not born again, when we are still born just of the flesh, okay? When we are still born and, and under the authority and the kingship in the kingdom of darkness in the world, the flesh and the devil, when we are under that authority, Okay? There will be fruit that comes out of us also. Okay? The fruit of our flesh. Alright? So, those, those two are, are in contrast and opposition. Let me just read in Galatians 5 what it says. But I say, walk in the Spirit, in verse 16, but I say, walk in the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Okay? Again, this becomes a very your, your boots have to follow your words. There's no, you're something on Facebook and something in another part of your life. The consistency in the reality of your life is really all that matters, who you really are. But I say walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh, again, the kingdom of darkness, when you're under the kingdom of darkness, the way we naturally are born, you're born into the kingdom of darkness. All of us are born into the kingdom of darkness. All of us are born into sin, Right? You have no choice in that as a little kid, okay? For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another. They don't get along, okay? They're in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. What, what does that mean? I ask you to step back for a minute against that. The, the, the word please actually means the things you wish, the things that you desire, okay? It, it, the things you want. What does that mean? The things that, so that you may not just do the things that you want. The things that you feel like doing. We, that, that is not the way we can act, the way that our body tells us to do. That we are not just to act on that impulse, okay? Because that, we're not just to act on the impulse of an unredeemed, unsubmissive flesh who is under the authority in the kingship of the domain of darkness. The spirit is set against the flesh and these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things you please. You may not just act the way you feel, okay? But if you are led by the spirit, right? Don't, don't get me wrong here. This is not about spending the rest of your life in, in drudgery with the yoke around your neck doing the things you don't want to do. If that is the description of a religious man or a religious woman, all right? That is not the description of somebody who is led by God and, and, and is, is filled with the Spirit of God. Okay? The difference is, are we led by the Spirit of God or are we led by our flesh? Do I have things I feel like doing? 
I think I want to do my fleshly desires. Is that, is that what controls me? Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are, and these are things that we all have been guilty of on some level of another, okay? Because we've all lived in the flesh for a portion of our lives. Now, the deeds of our flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envyings, drunkenness, carousings, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, just as, as I have forewarned you, okay? Paul's making this clear, that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay? Now, we, there's a contemporary view of God is fine. Grace, grace is just overlooks your sin. God understands you're a sinner and that you can't help it. Okay? So, it, 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 we just need to do something. Um, we just need to say we're sorry for it and try our best. He says, those who practice such things do not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay? That's about as clear as it gets, I think. I mean, does anybody... That's not a question of... Oh, God understands that, or God has rose-colored glasses on that are kind of scratched up anyway, and really doesn't see that that when you sin, it, it doesn't really matter because Jesus already paid for that. Um, we don't. That, that is not what He's saying here. He's saying that if we walk in the flesh, we will not enter the kingdom of God. We will not inherit the kingdom of God. And and inheriting the kingdom of God is a wondrous thing. But the fruit of the Spirit. So, if the Spirit of God dwells in us. Okay, that is a good tree with good roots. Remember the, the example that, that John gave to um, the, the Pharisees when they were coming, when they were talking and all the people that he was baptizing. He says, therefore, bring forth fruit in keeping with your repentance and do not suppose. And this is something I don't know. This just rings in my ears every day about because this is so American. And do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, we've said the prayer. Okay. That's not what it says here, but that's how it interprets in our in our culture. We have we have Abraham as our father, right? For I say to you that God is able from these stones to raise up children of Abraham. He's, this is this is what John says, and the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Okay, every tree therefore that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. Right. So so this isn't just a matter of living or saying one thing with my mouth. It's profound in, in contemporary Christianity because you can speak correct doctrine and think theology and speak correct theology. Jesus died for your sins. Jesus died to set us free from sin. Okay? Jesus, Jesus, the resurrection power of God can now be at work in our lives. Alright? That, that if I'm born again, that, that now I have power over sin. And we can, you can say, you know, we can say all these things. Jesus died to set me free from guilt. Um, you know, the fruit of the Spirit is to be evident in my life and will be obvious if the Spirit of God dwells in me. Okay? That will produce fruit. Okay? That will be what's, what happens. And people will agree with you. Right? There's not very many people in Christendom today that would disagree with anything I just said. Is there? I mean, you know, they might disagree on, oh, but you speak in tongues and I don't or whatever. But as far as the basic tenets of Christianity, they typically agree. But do they live their life that way? But this world, this country is not living its life that way. Because it says the fruit of the Spirit, okay, of those, of, if you're born again and the Spirit of God dwells in you, the fruit of the Spirit is what? Is love, is joy, is peace, is patience, is kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. What does it mean to be baptized into the death of Jesus? It means we have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Okay? It means that we have put them to death. That, that our, our, our struggle, our, our, our life here on earth is a, is a born again believer is not to be, oh, I can't eat, I can't eat that chocolate. You know, I, I can't, 
I can't, I can't sin. I can't. That is not what our lives is to look like. Okay, we're to be. Does it? That, that, is that a dead man, or is that a man maybe on the edge of death, is shivering and quaking, but he isn't dead yet? You know, that's not a dead man. You know, a dead man doesn't doesn't exert himself and his energy trying to remain alive to something. Right? A dead man's dead, right? and that's how our lives are to look. We're to be reckon ourselves dead, crucified to Christ. And you look at these things, but the fruit of the Spirit. And we tend to think, you know, there's this concept, and, and it runs full spectrum. One end of the spectrum might be, okay, all you need to do is be have the, have a second baptism in the Holy Spirit, and I'm not going there, but yes, no, or maybe, or why, or how. And, and, and then these things will automatically come out of you. Really? Is that what's going to happen? You know? I don't see any magic wand in the Bible. Do I see the power of, of the Holy Spirit in your life enabling you for these things to happen? Yes. So, so is, are you naturally then going to be patient, kind, good, faithful, gentle, have self-control? Okay. Are you naturally going to agape love? Is it, we, we've talked about this a lot in regards to agape love. Is agape love a way you feel or a way you act. Okay? Agape love is very much and absolutely described in the Bible and defined in the Bible as a way you act. Okay? It's not a way that you feel. Right? Feeling extreme emotions is not a bad thing. God made us to be pretty feeling people. Right? But when it comes to agape love, agape love means selfless actions towards another. Okay? Whether it's loving God in our selflessness, whether it's loving others in our selflessness, okay? Is that, is, is that that's not acting on how I feel or, how, or what I want or what my desires are. That's acting on what is right. That's acting in obedience. There is an essential necessity of recognizing in the kingdom of God, the kingship of God, right? I mean, I, I don't think that we can... I don't think we can spend too much time individually trying to consider a king. We, we're just, it's so foreign in our thinking. Okay? It, it's, you know, in the military, you understand absolute authority a little better. You know, because when, when somebody above you in authority tells you to do something, you realize you do that, whether you want to or not, whether you agree, whether you don't agree, you know, um, or there's dire consequences, right, to, to not doing it. You know, court-martial, you will be you know, you're in trouble. You have to obey absolute authority. Outside of that realm, and we don't understand absolute authority. Okay, we hold on. One of the one of the the strongest things we hold on to in our culture, it seems to me, is a misconception of free will. Okay, that I am free to do whatever I want. Jesus said, "I came to be free." There is no correlation between the freedom that he talks about and out from under authority. Okay? We need to understand that. It's a very difficult thing for us to think. We are, in the kingdom of God means the kingdom of God. means the authority and sovereignty of the king. Alright? We need to, I, I would challenge you all to, to stand back because our former government isn't a king, right? I mean, we're, we, you know, we're under, we're under law, we're a nation of law. Um, but we don't have a king. In fact, when our current administration begins to act in some way as a as a tyrant or as a we wouldn't say a tyrant, but as a um, as a monarchy, even that will do it no matter what, no matter what the, we rebel serious. I certainly do, and rightfully so. Okay, this country was not set up to be ruled by a king. That was for protection. Okay? That wasn't so just so I could prosper and do whatever I wanted to do. We're still a nation of law. What it, what it was for, so that initially, so I was not under the authority of a king and, and I was not going to be oppressed by the king in my freedom to worship. Okay? And that was a very, very um, foundation in spite of what current history teaches of what our country was set up on. That I am not going to have a monarchy dictate, a tyrannical government dictate how and who I can worship, that we wanted to preserve and maintain that freedom in this country. We have a very, very hard time with absolute authority over us. Okay? You, you need to understand that a right relationship with God 
cannot exist outside of recognizing his absolute authority over it. Okay? Alright? I mean, that, that's, and, and, and don't quit on that thought. Don't, don't not think of that thought. I mean, we're not talking about some authority, or when I want to, or when I give him lordship, or when I give him sovereignty, or when I acknowledge his kingship. That, that is not a right relationship with him. A right relationship only comes when I acknowledge his authority, his absolute authority. If we repent, we understand what, what we repent. What, what was John, and what did Jesus, what was Jesus said, okay, since after that time Jesus began to preach and teach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent from what? So would it be fair to say repent from sin? Right? Because sin is what separates us from God, right? And, and the word sin, the Greek word sin, you know what it means? That, and this is, this is actually, a, 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 I believe, an absolute important foundation for what it means. Sin means a missing of the mark. Okay? That's what sin means. We tend to think of sin as drunkenness. We, we look at these, this is the fruit of a sin nature. Okay? What we just read there, okay, was the fruit of a sin nature. Okay? That's the result. That's the, what will grow, what will come out of a tree that is bad, out of, out of a, a nature which is under the authority and kingship, a flesh that is under the authority and kingship of darkness. Okay? That, that, that is what comes out of it. The sin is missing the mark. What does it mean to miss the mark? And this, this is something that's really important here as we move into the Sermon on the Mount. Because the Sermon on the Mount, by a lot of evangelical Christianity, and by most of the rest of Christianity, is avoided. Okay? We just don't deal with it. Alright? We pull little things out of it. Someone has, if someone wants your coat, give them your coat. Turn the other cheek, you know. We do not judge. We take that one out, don't we? You know, we pull little little things out of there that tend to fit our perception. But as far as Jesus was very clearly in this dialogue, in this dissertation, was sitting them down and explaining, okay, this is what my kingdom looks like. This is what it means to be under, this is what it will look like, this is what your lives will look like to be under the authority of my kingship. So, sin... Missing the mark, okay, what was their mark? Okay. Their, their mark was the law. Yeah. Their, their mark was, they, they, they were under, you shall not do this, you shall not eat ravens, you know, you, you shall not do a lot of things. Some of them shall not murder, right? You, you shall not dishonor your mother and father. You shall not lie. You shall not steal. You shall not worship any other god. You shall not make yourself graven images, right? The Ten Commandments. We, the, those were laws, and they were under those things. So as long as they outwardly, okay, now they're outwardly trying to keep those laws, did that make them right with God? No. By faith, they believed that God was the king. That God is king, okay? And they, what is honoring God? Okay? How do you honor God? If God says, this is what I say matters to me, do not lie. Is it honoring God to lie? Or dishonoring God to lie? Dishonoring, right? If God says, do not murder, is it dishonoring God to murder? Or is it honoring God to murder? It's dishonoring God. If God says, do not commit adultery, is it honoring God? In, in the, our, our relationship with Him is one by faith, okay? It's not by our works. It's not by doing and not doing right things that we have right, righteousness before God. It's by honoring him as God. That will produce action in our life. Be very clear. A life that does not show action, James said it, faith without works is dead. It's really not faith. Because biblical faith will produce works. Will produce, will direct your shoes. Will direct how you act. Will direct how you respond. Sin, in, in its most simplified form, the foundation of that word means missing the mark. Well, what's the mark? The mark is God's holiness. Alright? God did, didn't just set up a rule. Bad, bad. Okay? 
they want to set up a bunch of rules to keep. You have to keep these rules and you do this and you do that because I want to be, I want to determine and I want to dictate what happens here. No. God, the mark that we miss is God's holiness. Alright? What is, what is God's holiness? Okay? The words hagiosmos is a very important one because we are called to be holy as He is holy. That's a commandment. Okay? By the way, in the New Testament. Be holy as I am holy. And holiness, what we are called to is separation to God. Separation from what? From this world. From the flesh. From the devil. Separation to God and separation from sin. Those are two primary characteristics of set apart of what holiness means. God is holy. What does God mean? He is other than. He is other than any other God. God is completely set apart from any other God, okay? He's different than that. And God is God. To have a right relationship with God, we have to honor Him as God, okay? And, and this is a tough one for us to comprehend, too, because we are raised in a culture that says, no one is more important than me, okay? I'm as important as anyone, right? I am to be honored as much as anyone. We're told that, right? We teach our children that, you know? Self-esteem, quote, right? I mean, we want to teach our children, you're as valuable and, and you know, don't, well, you, you can take that where it goes. The, the you know, when, when Johnny, when Johnny's running down the soccer field, I hated soccer when our kids played soccer. It was, it, I think one of the reasons it made it difficult is right during the fall, during bird season, and that's when I was a serious bird hunter. And so here I was on a Saturday morning, the only day off, and I met some stupid soccer field. You know, and, 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 but I would be glad to be there with my kids, except what was profoundly, um, tragic is that, is that my kid, you're run, you know, so it's, it's just mob ball when they're little, you know, they're running down, you know, kind of chasing the and forth, you know, there isn't very much serious soccer play going on. But what was tragic to, is to sat there on the sidelines and listen all over, oh, John, Johnny, you're doing so good. Johnny didn't even know where the ball was, okay? Johnny was out wandering around, looking at the butterflies, paying attention, looking down at his feet, you know, doing something. And, and but mom, mom believes, dad believes. I have to give my child self-esteem, so I tell him, "You did good. You did so good." No, he didn't. He, I mean, if you don't beat him because he didn't play soccer. Who cares? He's chasing a stupid ball around. Okay, not worth the beating. All right. But was Johnny doing good? No, Johnny wasn't doing good. So to tell Johnny to try to raise his self-esteem, but that's, that's the reality of it. It is a falseness. And we, we in this country are so consumed by that that we have a very hard time believing there is something other than, something that is far greater than us. Something that is fully, well, if there were their praise, and so am I. You know, isn't that what Satan said? I mean, that's what Satan said. God, if you're worthy of praise, then I'm worthy of praise. If you're worthy of honor, then I'm worthy of honor. And God says, He is to be honored as God. That means above us. Absolutely. Not on, we don't, we don't play on a level field here. Okay? God is God. And we are man. And the only way we can have a right relationship with Him is to honor Him as God. Not as an equal. Okay? Not to elevate man. Our greatest problem in this country is we have a dim view of God and a very high view of ourselves. Okay? And that makes for no relationship with God. Right? That's what Satan had. A dim view of God, diminished view of God, and a high view of himself. That's how sin entered the world. Missing the mark, sin, missing the mark, is... Is, is the Jews okay? Stop for a minute because I'll end on this. But we we are in very much the same place. If if Jesus came and said, or if John came and said, we'd probably take a John a crusade or you know some some big whatever conference thing. We might go along with that. But if 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 God said, if Jesus came and said to us, repent. We would we have to think and say, what what do I repent from? The Jews believed at the time that they had a right relationship with God. Why? Because a lot of them they were trying to keep the law. I mean, they were very strict in keeping the law. 
They believed they had a right relationship with God. They would go to the temple. I mean, they were, they were really devout, the predominance of them. Okay? They were devout in their pursuit of God. So why was John saying, repent? For the kingdom of God is at hand. You know, why, why was he doing, why, why would I believe those words be absolutely the same today? Okay? Repent. The absolute necessity. We in this country are in absolute, desperate, dire need of revival. And I, and I, not being a doomsdayer, I'm not, but I, I'm going to tell you, if, it, if there is not a radical revival towards God, a radical repentance, a universal, large-scale repentance of us in this country, we're done. We're done. I mean... I don't think many of us understand how close to the edge. This isn't some fiscal cliff. We are in a, in a desperate state as a country. And we will not continue um, if, if we do not come to a place of repentance. What do, we, what do we need to repent of? I believe that it is no different than what the Jews need to repent of. The Jews thought they were pretty good people. The Jews thought they were pretty godly people. The Jews thought they were following God. The Jews thought they were doing all the right things. They were going to the temple. They, were, they now could do sacrifices. We don't need to repent. We're doing good now. We're feeling pretty good about this because now we even have a temple where we can do sacrifices, where we can do the right things, follow the law. And John said, repent. And then Jesus said, repent. Right? I mean, it was, it was perpetual. What, what did Jesus say to the woman found adultery? Did he say, oh, it's all right. I have rose-colored glasses. I have a nickname named Santa Claus. And I just overlook. And everybody does good and everybody does bad. So don't worry about it. I understand. Is that what he said? Or did he say, go and sin no more? Right? Repent. Agree about your sin. Confess your sin. This woman, obviously, she was feeling pretty obviously in the middle of confession, I'm sure. She was caught in adultery. Flat out. He says, Repent. Turn away from your sin. Have a change of heart, a change of mind about this. And sin no more. Right? That's what he said. Go and sin no more. It's, it's the same for all of us. Right? It's the same today. We believe that we're, we're not doing this. We're not doing that. We're not acting like the sinners. We don't do like things like the sinners do. We don't, we don't, we don't get drunk all the time and we don't, you know, we don't have to have sex next door with Susie and we don't murder people and we don't lie and cheat and steal. We don't do those things. So we're pretty righteous. We're going to go into Matthew 5, 6, and 7 and Jesus is going to say, but how about your heart? But how about your heart? You know? It's, it's, he, he said that you, you, you think in, in your kingdom, in, in the kingdom of the Jews at the time, in the current life realm of, of Judaism, if they didn't go out and have sex with a temple prostitute, they were not committing adultery or whoever. They were not committing adultery. What did Jesus say? If you think sexually about any woman besides your wife, you're committing adultery. That's my kingdom. Okay? That's my kingdom. Is a kingdom from within. Is a kingdom in a realm where he rules and reigns. It's not the outward he rules and reigns. Well, he does. He rules internally. Does he rule our hearts? Repent from what? Repent from our works. Repent from our externals. Repent from, from our self-righteousness and believing that we keep the law. Re- and agree with God about our sin. Repent from our lack of holiness in our life. Repent from missing the mark. I mean, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't even ask if any of us thinks we missed the mark because... You know, the contemporary greatest sign of humility is to say, I'm just a sinner. Okay? That's a tragic statement, honestly. The, 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 the you know, I, the, I am a sinner, you know, by nature, by my human nature, I am rebellious. My heart is wicked. My heart is selfish. My heart is willing. Is that my life and what the fruit of my life should like? Am I to be a wicked tree that produces fleshly fruit? Or, or am I to be a, a, a tree who is good and produces the fruit of the Spirit that emulates through me? I am to be. 
Okay? In and of myself, I'm in trouble. What is the gospel? Okay? The gospel is the good news that I can be set free from the flesh. That I'm no longer just chained and bound by trying to outwardly fulfill laws. But actually, I can live by the power and leading of the Holy Spirit. That's the good news. That God did that not because I deserved it. Not because the Jews deserved it. Not because anybody has deserved it, but because God is merciful and gracious and kind and longs to have a relationship. So His grace made a way. His, his, his unmerited favor towards us made a way. Right? I mean, great graces. I don't, I, I, I struggle because if, if you've been around Christendom, there's all kinds of songs about grace. We throw out the word grace a lot. We, all of us need to redefine grace. Okay? We need to, so that when we sing it, when we hear it, when we read it in the Bible, we redefine grace. Okay? What does it mean that we're not under the law, but under grace? What does that mean? So that's a less standard? That's what we think. Well, he paid for it, so he gave us a credit card. That's really about how we feel. Okay? He paid for it, so now it doesn't matter. I'm not under the law. I'm not going to be judged by the law because I'm under grace, so God overlooks sin. That's not at all what it is. God made a way in His love and His compassion and His grace and His mercy towards us to allow us to have a right relationship with Him. And a right relationship with Him is living a holy life. Is living a righteous life. Okay? Is living a life that is crucified. It's no longer my life that I live, but in subjection to the authority and the sovereignty of the kingship of Jesus. The kingdom of God is at hand. Who, what, what, what kingdom are we under? What authority are we under? It's a theme that's, that goes throughout the, the New Testament particularly. It's a theme throughout the Old Testament, okay? Okay, it's a, it's a, in, in the kingship of, and so when we accept Jesus, when we believe Jesus, the only true saving understanding of God is to believe in His Lordship, is to believe in His kingship, is to believe in His absolute authority. It's not an intellectual exercise, it's something that radically transforms my life, okay? I'm not, only, I'm not under my authority anymore. Now I'm subject to the king. Subject to be obedient to the king. And he has made a way for me to not have live with guilt and impotency in my ability to do that and fulfill that. Now I can live in power. Now I can live in the power of the Holy Spirit. And now I can know joy from the inside out and peace from the inside out. It's not a peace against my outward enemies. It's peace from the inside out. And I can know self-control. And I can know patience, and I can know long suffering, and I can know love, and I can know kindness. Okay? And my life can and should exude those things. Right? If I'm not, look, if that's not what my life looks like, you have the responsibility to come to me and say, David, you don't look like you're led by the Holy Spirit. Right? That's a responsibility you have. You look like you're deceived. You say you're led by the Holy Spirit, but that's not what's coming out of you. Okay? Because you love me. Because you love me enough to do that. That's what our lives should look like. That's what my life should look like. It's what any of us who claims to be born again, our lives should look like. That's what it means to be under the kingdom. Under the kingdom of God. To get there, we need to agree with God, confess our sins, and repent. And He's faithful and He's just to forgive us our sins. And to do what? To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Satan is, one of Satan's greatest ploys is guilt and shame and the residue and remnants of sin that pound on us. We can be, the good news is we can be set free from that. That we no longer have to carry that burden of of sin and guilt and shame. We can be freed from that through the work of Jesus. And that's a literal, that's a real deal. Not a pretense on the outside, but a real deal from the inside out. And begin to live in power and freedom and joy. Let's pray. Jesus is going to teach us in the Sermon on the Mount. We'll listen to him. What that looks like. What that looks like in reality. What his kingdom looks like and what acting and living in his kingdom looks like. What holiness looks like. What God's mark is, not what our human mark is, not what our church mark is, what God's mark is. 
And the radical thing is he, we can live blessed. We can live happy. We can live in fulfillment of that. Um, we are called saints. That means holy ones. Okay? That means those who have not missed the mark that God has established. Those who now can live out the mark, who can meet the mark that God has established. Not in their own power, not in their own strength, but by the supernatural infusion of the resurrection power. God, I thank You for that. There's good news. I don't have to live in religion. I don't have to live perpetually trying to pay for my sin. I don't have to do penance. That does me no good. I don't have to, to, I cannot pay for my sin. I cannot pay for the past. I cannot make things right with you by paying the debt owed. The good news is that you have fully and completely paid the debt. And all those who acknowledge you as Lord, all those who acknowledge you as King, all those who have been crucified and have been born again, can have that debt paid, annulled, wiped out. Not by anything of my own goodness or my own doing, but by acknowledging you as Lord and King. And that will produce fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Will produce those things in me. I'm sorry that I lose sight on a too regular basis of your absolute authority. I'm sorry that I do not go to my king and, and, and beseech you for what I might do, beg you for what do I do to please you? What do I do that makes you happy? What do I do that brings you joy? Because that's what I should do. God, please cause me to do that. Not run on how I feel or how I think or what I want. Because that's no longer my life. And I recognize your kingdom. That your kingdom is at hand. Your kingdom... I believe that Jesus, when you taught us to pray, you said to pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth like it is in heaven. Some talk about that being a day in the future, in the millennium. I think that you're, that we, we are to pray that we would do your will in absoluteness. That we would be obedient to you and not waver. That we would always realize the necessity of the death of Jesus, but that we would not put him back on the cross and crucify him in regard with shame or lack of importance and blood that he shed by continuing in sin. God, please encourage my brothers and sisters to, to, to read the Sermon on the Mount. Um, please remind them and provoke them and prod them uh, because it's really important. It has nothing to do with legalism. It has to do with grace. It has to do with our ability to be pleasing in your sight because of your favor towards us. And I thank you for that. Amen.